Hey, welcome. Thanks for joining us this weekend. Uh, I hope you had a great week. Hey, you know, we always tell our kids, at least we want to tell our kids this. We want to say to little Johnny, who's five foot six, Johnny, you can be anything that you want. If you want to be an NBA superstar, you just go for it and you make that dream happen. Well, if little Johnny's only going to grow up to be five foot six, and if he can't dribble very well and he's not very athletic, chances are he's never going to play in the NBA. Or how about little Paula? Little Paula wants to be a ballerina. Little Paula is, doesn't have the body build for a ballerina. She's not very coordinated, and chances are she can't keep a beat, so that's probably not going to happen. What I'm saying is we tell our kids you can be whatever you want to be, but the truth is you really can't. Now, that doesn't mean they shouldn't dream and they shouldn't go for it. I mean, we've, we heard stories of people who were told, I, you'll never do this, you'll never be able to do that, and they accomplish those things. But there's some things that are just absolutely, on a, they're, not, they're not able to accomplish them. And, and it's just reasonable to think that there are some goals in life that are just uh, kind of insurmountable. And that's okay. Here's what I think we should be saying to our kids. Little Johnny little girl, whatever your name was that I don't remember anymore. Um, you are created in God's image. God loves you dearly. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And as you connect with your creator, you're going to find that God is going to do amazing things in your life. Here's what we should be telling our kids. We should be telling our kids that God uses ordinary people like you to do extraordinary things for him in his kingdom. And that he wants to do those things. And that that's not, that's not only is a high goal to shoot for, but it is the only goal to shoot for. That's what we should be telling our kids. In other words, what I think we're doing is we're trying to help our kids be great in this world rather than be great for the one who created this world. And so that kind of leads us into where we're going in this series. I want to talk about the book of 1 Peter. And 1 Peter is kind of this interesting book. And the section we're going to look at is very interesting because Peter's going to say, this is who you are and this is how you should live. And he says that things aren't always going to go the way you want them to go. They're not always going to play out the way you think they are going to play out. Life's not always going to be fair. But here's the thing. God has a plan. God is going to work in your life through those things, grow you and help you to make a difference. And God wants to use ordinary you and me to do extraordinary things for his kingdom. So are you ready to join me as we look at uh, 1 Peter, as we talk about how God and can use us, he's the creator, our savior can use us? Let, let's talk about that just for a minute. Let's talk about how do we live? How should we live? How should we live, right? Well, let's go to the text and let's see what uh, Peter has to say. Notice what it says. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. 
to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. That word peace is, is kind of the, the carryover, the Hebrew shalom. Praise be to God, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. So we want to just unpack these four verses and just talk about how they apply and how they can change us and direct us in our lives. Here's the first thing I want you to see. That God uses imper imperfect people to carry out his eternal plan. Notice what Peter says. It's very interesting what he says. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Peter is an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, what, what do we know about Peter? We know a number of things about Peter. He was an ordinary man. He was a fisherman. He was uh, interesting to me that... Uh, Jesus didn't choose anyone who had theological or, or rabbinic training to be part of his disciples. Uh, he chose a fisherman. He chose ordinary men. Peter was the epitome of ordinary. So he was an ordinary man. But he was, secondly, he was a failure. <laughs> Peter failed Jesus at the most critical time of all. When Jesus needed him the most, he denied him, right? When Jesus needed to look in the corner and see that Peter was standing up for him, Peter was cowering after he had already denied knowing him. Number three, though, Peter was an apostle. Now, Jesus calls imperfect people to serve as his first disciples. You look at this ragtag crew. He's got a tax collector. He's got fishermen. He's got a zealot. He's got a trader. He's got all kinds of different people. And today, God still uses imperfect people to do his work. And we just have to understand that and believe it. Um, he wants us to learn from our mistakes and grow from our mistakes. He forgives us of our sins. Uh, right now, so think about this. If you go to John 21, Jesus has a kind of a brunch or whatever with his disciples. They cook fish. And uh, Jesus sits down with Peter. He says, do you love me? And Peter says, you know I do. And P Jesus says, well, do you love me? The second time, and Peter says, yes, you know I do. And he says, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. And then he does it a third time. And he says, Peter was grieved that Jesus would ask him three times. People say, well, he shifted the word love there. He talks about agape, agape, and then he finally goes to phileo love, and that's not the point. John uses those words for love interchangeably. That's not the point. The point is he asked him three times. And he says, feed my sheep. You see what's going on here? What Jesus is saying is, I know your failure, Peter. I chose you and I knew you were going to fail me. But I want to know that you're on board now. And so I don't know where you're at today, right now, and I always ask people, I don't care what you've done 10 years ago, whether you walked forward or five years ago, I want to know where is your heart right now? Because right now is always a good time to repent. And I think at that moment, Peter repented and he, he realized that he had to deal with his denial of Jesus. He became an apostle, became 
a leader in the church. He became what, what Paul called a pillar of the church. Here's my main point. We're all flawed sinners, but we're also his sons and daughters. And God loves using imperfect people, sinners, people that just don't measure up in the, as far as the world's standard to do incredible things. And so don't just point your daughter or your son to, to, to this pursuit. Make it your pursuit, because if it's your pursuit, it's much more likely that it's going to be your children's pursuit. It's not important in your life. It'll never be important in their life. I don't want to say never, but it'll be much harder, okay? All right, so that's the first thing I want you to see. Second thing is, the Bible was written for us, but it wasn't written to us, okay? And this is really important for us to see. Notice what uh, Peter says, and I read this text to you. It says, to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Okay, so these were real churches located in the northwest quadrant of Asia Minor. These were real cities. This, this was a letter that was passed on to the churches, the house churches that met in these areas, in these smaller cities. So with... With, with so many English translations, we have so many English translations today, it's easy to forget that the Bible was originally written, uh, it was written for us, but it wasn't written to us. And everyone brings their own, and it doesn't matter whether you're from South America or Asia or Africa or English-speaking America, we all bring our cultural eyes our cultural baggage, and it, it's not bad in a, in a way, but we bring our cultural eyes to reading Scripture. We make assumptions about things from our culture when our Western culture is very different from the Eastern culture. And I'll give you an example in a minute. But here's the thing. God never changes, but the world is changing all the time. Have you noticed that? I mean, if this, this year, 2020, has changed radically, over the last six months. And, and God sometimes has to speak different in different times. And he does that. Um, the world we live in is different from the world of Abraham and Moses and David and Daniel and Jesus and the disciples. And Paul and, and all these people lived in a different culture than we live in. And so God speaks in different ways. God spoke to Moses in Hebrew and Aramaic. Um, in the Old Testament, Jesus probably spoke in Aramaic, and we today have a translation into English from Koine Greek. It was the common Greek of the day. All I'm saying in this is that, all I'm saying in all of this point, and I want you to hear me, is that we need to be aware that we have cultural blinders that we don't even see, we don't even know we have. And it can cause us to misinterpret the Bible if we're not careful. Let me give you an example, all right? Let me read you a verse from 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. And you, some of you are saying, no, Matt, don't go there. Not America's verse. Don't do it. I'm gonna. Let me read it to you. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, 
Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. How many times have you seen this posted? How many times have you seen people sending this out and claiming it as a promise for the United States? Do you know the context of that verse, where it comes from? Do you even know the context of where that verse comes from, what passage it comes from? It comes from the passage where Solomon is dedicating the temple. And they're offering sacrifices in the temple, the first temple. And basically God is saying to his people, if you keep covenant with me, I'll keep covenant with you. So it's a promise that God made to the people of Israel. Now, is there a principle we can draw for America? Well, I don't know about that. But here's the thing. You've got to be really careful about taking a verse and saying, I think that means this, and, and rip it out of context or not understand that we may have these Western cultural blinders on. Let's just be really careful about that. So what does this all mean? It means that we must be careful not to disregard the literary, historical, and cultural context of any passage. Uh, we, we read or we're going to be in danger of misrepresenting the message of the Bible. You see, again, let me just say it one more time. And I'm going to say this, you're going to hear me say this on a regular basis. The Bible was written for us, but it wasn't written to us. Okay? All right, here's the third point I want you to see. The world is not our home. We're merely sojourners passing through. Now, Peter calls his audience. It's very interesting. He, call, he uses this phrase. He calls them elect exiles, which is really an interesting phrase. Or you could translate it chosen sojourners. <laughs> and... Uh, at first glance, this seems like a contradiction. Like, the question is, how can a person, how can a person be chosen or elect and still be in exile at the same time? But that's what Peter is saying. Peter is saying that we are chosen by God. We are elected. There is uh, something going on in the Godhead, in the Trinity, before the creation of time where God made choices decisions, he made election, and, and all of this predestination stuff. But he says, but even though that happened, you're still exiles, you're still sojourners. Now, how can that be? To be elected means to be chosen. And Peter tells us that we're chosen, we're elected by God, but we're rejected by the world. And, and, Peter is saying that there will always, we'll always be aliens this side of heaven. Our life on this earth will be beautiful and fulfilling and rewarding at times. But there will be trials and troubles and tribulations. And those remind us that this is not our home. This is not our permanent residence. Elected or elect elders. We are beloved by God. We are misunderstood and sometimes mistreated by the world. After all, that's what they did to Jesus. That's what was done to the disciples. That's what every Christ follower, if they live for Jesus, will be Jesus in the world. You'll have tribulation. 
It's just part of the part of the uh, being a follower of Jesus. Peter says that God foreknew us. This means he foreloved us. That we are beloved of God. That he has an eternal plan for our lives. And, and so nothing happens. Uh, I'm going to get my hair cut later today. And, and sometimes I look on the floor when, when, when the hair cuts over. And I see the gray hairs laying there. And I'm thinking, I wonder how many gray hairs there are. There's more now than there was last time. And then I, you know, you go, how many hairs are there? I have no idea. God knows. In fact, God knows the very hairs of your head. That God knows when the sparrow falls to the ground. God has, had, before the foundation of the world, God had a plan for this world and for your life. Here's the point I want you to see. That no matter what happens to us, we know that God is for us. Okay? Think about that for a minute. That means that God will never abandon you. That God always has had a plan for you and still has a plan for you. That means even when you fail like Peter, and this is Peter writing, God still had a plan for me. You wonder what Peter thought the moment that Jesus looked across the courtyard and saw Peter their eyes met after Peter had denied him three times, the third time. You wonder what Peter thought. And yet, Jesus said to Peter, feed my sheep. Peter, I still have a plan for you. Learn, learn from this, but let's move forward. And that's the way God works in your life. Learn, repent. Take responsibility for your actions, but let's move forward. Your light, as long as you have a pulse, as long as you have a heartbeat, as long as you have a breath, that by the way, that God gives you both of those, he still has a plan and a purpose for your life. So let's just stop telling our kids to excel and be the best that they can be in the things of this world, which is, there's nothing wrong with wanting to do that. But let's let them shoot higher. Let's let them say, let me be all that God wants me to be, all that my creator wants me to be. Let me be what God designed me to be. Let me make a difference in the universe for eternity because I give my life over to him. You see, the, God call, the gospel calls us to be elect exiles, chosen sojourners, okay? This means that we're not to cave in to our culture, that we're, to become, we're not to become like it. Let me give you a couple of verses, because this is really a strong theme in the New Testament. Paul says this in Romans chapter 12. He says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And then in verse 2, he says this. He says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Okay? Now, this doesn't mean that we're to isolate from this world and from our culture. We're to engage it. We're to reach it with the gospel. Notice what he says, uh, Jesus says in Matthew chapter uh, 5. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. 
<coughs> neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put, the, put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. And then he says this, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. How you doing in that? How you doing in that? You got one other passage, but let me give you the context. So the people of Israel were taken, and they were warned by God <clears throat> that uh, captivity was coming to them. They were warned long time before, and God said, uh, if you don't straighten out, uh, you're going to be, you know, you're going to captivity. And Jeremiah the prophet basically says that you're going to be in captivity. Now, here's what the people thought. The people thought the captivity and the nation of Israel was taken into captivity by Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And they thought this captivity was only going to last a, a short period of time. So they, they, you know, it was like when you're staying in, in a hotel room, you don't, like, generally unpack if you're there for the weekend. You kind of say, well, you know, doesn't, well, what's the point of unpacking? I'm not going to be here that long. And that's what they thought. But Jeremiah gives them the bad news that they're going to be there for a while. A generation or so is going to pass before you come back into the land. And this is what he says. It's very interesting what he says. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those who I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, and eat. Uh, what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in numbers there. Do not decrease. And then he says this, notice, also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So, so Jeremiah is saying something very important. He's saying, listen, you're going to be here for a while. Make the best of it. Marry. Do life. Plant gardens. Pray for the city to prosper. Help the city to prosper. Because if it prospers, so do you. There's a lot of principles here. And we kind of dig into it a little bit into the sermon guide this weekend. So if you want to go a little deeper, just take the sermon guide. There's a couple of questions that will help you dig a little deeper into this passage. So the question is, how are we going to engage our world with the good news of the gospel? See, our, our world needs to hear the gospel more than ever, doesn't it? Especially during this difficult time. And so we need to not pull ourselves out of the culture, but engage it. But engage it in a way of light. Uh, so that they glorify our Father in heaven. And so how are we doing on that score and that front? How are we doing? All right, here's the last point. We'll close with this one. Nothing that happens in our lives, in this world, or in our lives surprises God. Nothing. Nothing in our lives or in this world surprises God. God doesn't go, oh, didn't see that one coming. Whoa. You know, we're... Where did that one come? That came out of left field. <laughs> no, no. Uh, Peter front loads the letter. He uses words like sovereign, elect, chosen. And, and, and he talks about the Trinity, that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You know, the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. 
And what he's doing here is he's, he's preparing for the rest of the letter because he's writing to a community that's going through trials and tribulations. And he, what he wants them to know is God is in control. He's had a plan from before the foundation of the world. That plan is not going to change. He's not surprised. He's well aware of it. He's not bound to time. He has a plan. And so Peter lays down a very strong theology of, of predestination, of being chosen, that God is in control, that God is sovereign because he's going to go and he's going to tell people who feel like their life is going up and down and being thrown around like a rag doll that God is in control. Some of you feel that way, don't feel like your life's getting thrown, you're getting thrown around like a rag doll in a dryer, right? And you go, when is it going to end? Has God forgotten me? Does God still have a plan? Yeah, he does. He hasn't forgotten you. And that's why we're going through 1 Peter. Because Peter is going to encourage his audience and say, yeah, you're going to go through trials, you're going to go through tribulations, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. It doesn't mean that God has forgotten you. It doesn't mean that God isn't aware of it. It doesn't mean that he doesn't care. It means that in this world we'll still have tribulations. Look at what he says in the first part. He, for, he foreknew us. He chose us. He gave us a new spiritual birth. He has given us a living hope, an inheritance. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he sent his son. God had a plan for our salvation. Before we even fell, we might be surprised. We might be fearful or discouraged, but God isn't. God has a, ha, had a plan. He sent his son to save us. His plans always work uh, out for our ultimate good. And that's the thing that we, gotta, we, get, we sometimes so, too often play the short game. And we need to play the long game. God is in it for the long game. He's got a game and it's the long game. And he doesn't always tell us what's going to happen next. But he's got a plan. Things are always going to work out for our good. Maybe not this side of heaven but certainly for eternity, the other side. He says, Paul says, we have, or Peter says, we have an eternal hope, an inheritance laid up for us because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and here's, here's really the last thing I want to say. The greatest indication that God cares for you is that he sent his son to die for you. And essentially, this is the argument of the New Testament. If God will send his son, what else could he do? And, and this is the point that we need to allow to drip into our hearts and drip into our souls. I, I like the phrase that Tim Keller uses, or the, the quote that I found. And here, here's what uh, Keller says. Christianity does, does not provide the reason for each experience of pain but it does provide deep resources for actually facing suffering with hope and courage rather than bitterness and despair. Let me close with this. God wants you to know that none of the disappointments or discouragements or hardships that you have experienced or are experiencing right now are a surprise to him. 
He says, you're a chosen sojourner. You're an elect exile. He has a plan, and he's had a plan since before the foundation of the world, before the creation of this world. And he still is carrying it out today. And we're called to trust him in the good times and the troubling times, the bad times. And so Peter sets us up for the rest of the letter. And we're going to go there in the weeks to come. We're going to talk about how Peter says, how do we navigate this uncertain world? How do we find hope in an uncertain world? And that's where we're going to go in the weeks to come. So I hope it'll be an encouragement to you. I want to pray with you right now as we close our time. Let's bow our heads and let me pray with you. Father, I do not have any idea what the people who are listening right now are going through. Loss, financial stress, health worries, just, just the, uh, there could be relational issues or work issues. I have no idea, Father, but you do, and you are going to help. You have a plan. Father, it is during these times that uh, we can grow. James says, consider it joy when you face these times because there are opportunities for us to grow. They're difficult. They're hard. I thank you, Father, that we can come to you during these times. And I thank you, Jesus, that when we, we ask for your presence and we ask for your help, we, we have somebody who not only uh, can help us but understands our struggles. We thank you you've given us your Holy Spirit to dwell in us and remind us of this, this living hope that is laid up for us. Help us, Father, to trust you in the good times and the bad. But most of all, Father, help us to Realize that you want to use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And sometimes those extraordinary things come out during difficult and challenging times. So may they come out now in each and every one of our lives in positive ways so that people see the good works that we do and glorify our Father in heaven. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining. I hope you have a great week. Next weekend, we're going to continue in 1 Peter. The other thing we're going to do next week is we're going to try to go into a little deeper water, and we're going to have a 9 o'clock service and a family service, but uh, you can go online and get more information about that. Until then, have a great week. God bless you. We'll see you.